Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. And Shaq, this is episode 200 of Half the Battle. Holy shit, they stuck with us for 200 episodes. 200 episodes, and I mean, I'm glad that we get to sit down here, go over these awards, and uh, I mean, because there was a lot of good fights this year, a lot of great performances, a lot of KOs, a lot of subs, so let's get down to it. Yes, sir, and for everyone paying attention, everyone tuning in, this is what's going to go down on today's episode of Half the Battle. So Shaq and I are going to give our best of awards for 2017, because it was an incredible year, and then we're going to have exclusive interviews with last week's big winner, Mateus Nicolau. Cash that six-unit play on Mateus Nicolau, and now we got an exclusive interview with him. And last but not least, Alex the Spartan White. He came through for us big against Mitch Clark, and now he's taking on James Krause this weekend at UFC SDL. He's an underdog. We got an exclusive interview with him. So make sure you stick around for our interviews with Mateus Nicolau and Alex White. But Shaq, let's get right down to business, man. We got these awards to give out. Best of 2017. And let's start off with the knockout of the year. So, man, what do you think is the best KO of 2017? So, a lot of KOs that went down this year. Mike Perry knocking out Jake. Um, and Ganu and Overeem, Marais and Sterling. But I'm going to go with Josh Emmett over Ricardo Lamas. Because, you know, one, the fact that Emmett even got that fight, that Lamas even took the fight, was, you know, astonishing in my opinion. And then the fact the way... That Emmett absolutely put his lights out and his head bounced off the canvas three times. I mean, Lamas is one of the greatest featherweights to ever do it, but that's how you seize an opportunity right there. You go in there, you knock out the number three guy in the world. So that's my KO of the year. I mean, dude, that was an unbelievable KO. He came through as a big dog. Obviously, Nganu has to be on anyone's list. Morais over Sterling. That was great, but for me personally, it was one that I was in attendance for. And that's Mike Perry versus Jake Allenberger. Look, me and uh, one of my good friends, we went there, you know what I'm saying, had some edibles. It was a very good time, and uh, I had a bet on Perry. Perry goes out there and knocks out Ellenberger. At first, we're high-fiving. Yes, we just cashed this bet. This is incredible. And then uh, after we're celebrating and it's time for Bruce Buffer to announce the winner, Ellenberger's still out cold, bro. We thought he died. It was kind of scary, thank God. And when he moved his toe, the whole place uh, started erupting and cheering for him. I was happy that, you know, he was okay. He was good to go. But Jesus Christ, I've never seen a more brutal knockout. Maybe when Anthony Hamilton fought Grabowski because we saw that in person, that was scary. But, bro, when Perry knocked out Ellenberger, you could hear the sound of that elbow throughout the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. And, uh, man, I mean, Mike Perry is one of the premier knockout artists at 170 pounds. Can't wait to see what he does in the future. That is my knockout of the year, Shaq. Submission of the year. So, you know, we talked about knockout. Now we got to talk about sub. What are you thinking? A lot of good subs this year. Uh, but I'm going to go with one in particular that happened recently, Ortega and Cub Swanson. I mean, the rub that Ortega's been on, all the subs, the knockout of Clay Guida. I mean, the guy submitted Hanato Moicano, which is a serious fee in itself which I did not see coming. So just the guillotine, the way he readjusted it after the first attempt and tapped out uh, Swanson. He almost had him out in the first round, but luckily Cub got saved by the bell. But that's my sub of the year. Ortega, in my opinion, he's one of those jujitsu guys that where if he touches you, it's over. I mean, it's pretty hard picking someone that's not Brian T. City Ortega. The dude is absolutely incredible. The way he was dangling off Cub's neck, like you mentioned, he readjusted it. The dude's someone to look out for, and I guarantee you, Brian T. City Ortega will be challenging for a UFC title in 2018. Make no mistake about it. But Shaq, I got to go with Pedro Munoz against Rob Font because Pedro Munoz has one of those guillotines where there's no getting out of a Pedro Munoz guillotine. You you shoot on this guy, Pedro Munoz, he snatches that neck. That's going to be game, set, and match. And it was game, set, and match when Rob Font, or as they like to say in Brazil, Robbie Fonch, 
fought Pedro Munoz and you know Rob was getting the better of the early exchanges which most people do against Pedro Munoz but when Pedro starts to create that chaos and you get a little desperate that's when he uh, chokes you out that's when you tap the mat that's when he gets another performance bonus my submission of the year is Pedro Munoz against Rob Font. Well, Shaq, you know, this is one of my favorite categories, the rookie of the year, because this is the guy that a year ago no one knew about, no one gave a fuck about. Now they came into the UFC, they made a big splash, and they're on a big thing. So who's the rookie of the year for you in 2017? I'm going to go with the sleeper. I'm going to go with my boy Cody Stamen. And, you know, a year ago no one knew who this guy was. Then he made his debut against Tyrion Ware. Uh, I actually bet on him in both of his fights. And, you know, clean win against Tyrion Ware in his debut. And then he gets the second fight of his career in the UFC uh, on the main event of the prelims against Tom Dukenois, who is the super-hyped French prospect, the guy that everyone was saying was a future champion. The guy people that. said could beat Tomas Almeida today. <laughs> you know, all, all this stuff and you know, <laughs> plus 150. I had to uh, bet on my boy Cody Stamen because I've been seeing something special in this guy. You know, uh, He's been getting comparisons to Jimmy Rivera, got a similar record to Jimmy Rivera. So Cody Stamen's my rookie of the year. Came in, got two solid wins, won over a super hype guy. So Cody Stamen. Yeah, Cody Stamen, definitely someone to look out for. Look, my rookie of the year is Volkan Uzdemir, and there's no doubt about it in my mind. A year ago, you know, if someone heard the name Volkan Uzdemir, they'd start laughing, like, who the fuck is Volkan <laughs> Uzdemir? Like, like, what a funny name, you know? And uh, he comes in there against OSB, he's a big dog, and people are like, oh, so OSB went from fighting fucking John Jones and Jimmy Mano, he's fighting this canned Volkan Uzdemir who lost to Kelly Anunson. <laughs> And then uh, Volkan goes out there, he wins the decision, but people are still not convinced. So they put him in there with uh, Misha Sarkunov, he's the underdog again, touches him one time. And uh, that was lights out. Just an underdog, plus 335 underdog. Yeah, sir. And then they're like, all right, well, you know, this quote-unquote fluke streak has to end now, right? (laughs) Let's put him in there with Manuel. You know, Manuel's coming off that OSB KO win, which one doesn't simply do, as you know. No one's ever knocked that OSB in the UFC before. So, uh... Let's, let's put him in there with Manuel. And then uh, he sleeps Manuel in 20 seconds and gets a, a UFC title shot. That, to me, is the rookie of the year. Now, no matter what happens in uh, his title shot, uh, you know that's irrelevant for this award because that's 2018. But for 2017, I don't think there's any doubt that Volkan Uzdemir is the rookie of the year. So, you know, much respect to him for making that kind of splash in just a couple months in the UFC. Now, this is a good one, too. Performance of the year. This is, you know... Who went out there and really put on that performance where you still think about it to this day and you're like, man, that was the performance of the year? You know, a lot of people are going to be pissed with this pick, but I'm going to go with Kobe Covington versus Damian Maya in Damian's hometown of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Because going into the fight, Kobe was saying all type of things. Filthy animals. Brazil's a dump. And yeah, you can say whatever Damian touched him up with the left hand. That doesn't matter because... I saw the fight Damien was in before the... What were the scorecards again? I remember the scorecards being 30-26 in Brazil. So I know Tyron Woodley didn't do that to him. Tyron Woodley played it safe. Tyron Woodley just sat against the fence and stuff to take down, which, hey, congrats to him. He won the fight. But Colby beat him to the point where Damien Damien couldn't go an extra two rounds. Just put it that way. Damien would have quit in between rounds. Colby beat him in a way that was... I mean, who does that to Damian Maia and Gungun Kim back-to-back? 30-25, 30-26. I think the guy has earned his title shot. But in terms of performance, I don't care if he got hit with a couple left hands. All I know is Damian didn't take him down, and all I know is Kobe broke him. So that's my performance of the year. And then, you know, what he did after the uh, after the fight on the mic. I mean, some people like it, some people don't. I like it, man. The welterweight division needs life. Willie's boring up the division, so that's my pick. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, Colby's a very dominant guy, no matter how you feel about him personally. But for me, man, and I was very surprised about this performance, I got to go with RDA against Robbie Lawler. I mean, talk about a five-round clinic. Talk about a guy that I was saying, look, he's too small for 170 pounds. He probably got a little bit lazy going up. You know, he didn't want to cut the weight no more. I couldn't have been any more wrong. I mean, this is a guy, he could have already retired. He won the belt at 155. He defended it. And now we're talking about him potentially not only becoming the first UFC Brazilian lightweight champion, but becoming the first UFC Brazilian welterweight champion. That's a Hall of Fame material. And you put on a clinic against the very dangerous former champion, Robbie Lawler. And uh, I think now he's ready for a UFC title shot. So I'm going to go with someone in the same weight class as you, just a different man, Rafael Dos Anjos with the performance of the year. Now it's time for the upset of the year. Now, as you know, we are betting, man. It doesn't necessarily have to be something we bet on, but in your opinion, what is the upset of the year for 2017? Oh, man. You know, just from a betting perspective, I'm going to go with my boy Zaleski Dos Santos. It's not the first time he's been the underdog, but he was plus 180 against Lyman Good, who at the time, you know, was coming off a of USADA suspension. And uh, I disagreed with it. I had to play my boy Zaleski. I'm 3-0 and betting Zaleski. And, uh... I look forward to betting Zaleski some more in these upcoming fights. But uh, plus 180 was super off to me. Just the fact that I wasn't even watching the fight live. I was had to get updates. Um, and, you know, I heard that he was pulling it out. But then when I got home and watched the fight and saw the classic war that it was, that's my upset of the year. Yeah, and look, I, I got to go with the obvious one here, man. Uh, it, it doesn't get any more bigger of an upset than Darren Elkins over Mirsad Bektik. I mean, the kid was like plus 600 going into that fight. People were saying uh, Mirsad could beat Max Holloway today. Like, those are the kind of, that's the kind of shit I was hearing, like, going into that fight, Shaq. And people were laying down, you know, the minus 700, <laughs> minus 800 on Mirsad Bektik. You know, people never learn their lessons. And Elkins, he took that ass whooping like a man for the first 10 minutes. Like he always does. And then uh, he came back, and not only did he dominate that last round, not he finished. Mirsad Bektik with a head kick knocked the kid out. His second knockout loss, by the way, because we all know Chess Kelly knocked him out, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he handed him his second KO and uh, gets my upset of the year as a plus 600 dog. So, you know, props to, props to Elkins for that <laughs> one, man. Now we got to talk about the fighter to watch in 2018. So this is someone that they made a statement in 2017 not necessarily fighter of the year, but they still they did enough in 2017 uh, where you're like, dude, you got to watch this kid in 2018. Who do you think that is? You know, I'm going to go with my boy Jimmy Elterra Rivera, man. This guy's on the cusp of a title shot. It sucks what happened. He was supposed to fight Cruz. was supposed to fight Lineker. Both those guys found a way out and uh, decided not to fight. Then, you know, Marais wants to act like he wants to take the fight, and he doesn't. But I mean, yeah, he Jimmy, wants to take it at 170 pounds. Exactly. Yeah. Jimmy's on a 20-something fight win streak, boxing <laughs> record. I mean, the guy wins fights point blank, period. He's a win away from a title shot. I'm interested to see if he gets a Cody Garbranch or a Sun Sal. Um, but he's right, on the, he's right on the verge of, you know, getting that title shot versus TJ. And, you know... Him and TJ have sparred before, and let's just say one man got the better of it. <laughs> one does not simply go 20-1 and one in professional mixed martial arts, and that's exactly what Jimmy Rivera is doing. So, you know, obviously, he's definitely a guy to watch in 2018. But for me, Shaq, I'm going to go with someone that I already picked earlier in the show. Or actually, you picked him for submission of there. You picked Brian T. City Ortega, and I'm picking him as my fighter to watch in 2018. I mean, every single time this guy fights 
you know, sometimes it can be sketchy at first. It can be hairy. But once he finds that neck, once he finds a way to tap you out, I mean, he grabs a limb, he grabs anything, and it's over right away. I mean, <laughs> this is a guy you have to watch out for. I'm not exactly convinced he could beat Max Holloway, but at the same time, if he touches Max he Holloway's touches neck, neck. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure there's anyone on planet Earth that can escape that, man. So, uh, yeah, T-City is definitely the guy you got to look out for in 2018. Now, Shaq, who is the breakthrough fighter of the year and this is someone you know they could be a rookie they could have already had a ufc career but 2017 was really the year where they broke through i'm gonna go with uh, the middleweight champion robert whitaker because mm-hmm. it seems like for the most part in terms of the lines makers that he keeps getting disrespected in these fights you know and the fact what he did against uh, yoel romero in his last fight uh you know mess up that knee early in the fight and then come back, lose the first two rounds and then come back like a champion does win the next three rounds and get that 48-47 decision. I mean, that was that was a great performance, in my opinion. He's the breakthrough fighter of the year. Beat Jacare, uh, beat Bronson, uh, Yoel Romero. So, I mean, um, he's arguably up there on this pound-for-pound uh, pound list as well. Got a big fight against Luke Rockhold next in Perth. But he's my breakthrough fighter there. Yeah, I mean, Robert Whitaker's absolutely amazing. You know, a guy that at one point was coming off two losses at welterweight, people were saying, uh, you know, maybe he's not the guy we thought he once was. He goes up to 85. He's been absolutely running through everyone. He's fought the best of the best. Now he is the undisputed middleweight champ. He's absolutely one of the breakthrough fighters of the year. Now, for me, and I'm going to go with James the Texecutioner Vic. Look, this is a guy that was 5-1 and one in the UFC at one point. People were saying shit like, oh, he's always injured. He never fights. And then he took that L to Benil Dariush. And people were like, yep, uh, that's it. That's it for Vic. And, you know, when, when someone takes an L like Smolka, they might say, oh, I suck. I should work at McDonald's. My career's over. When someone like Vic takes an L, he's like, that wasn't shit to me, bro. And then now he's on a three-fight win streak. Three finishes, all in 2017, and it all culminated against Joe Duffy. He was a plus 180 dog at Madison Square Garden. He goes in there. He doesn't just beat Joe Duffy, Shaq. He knocks him out. He beats him at his own game. He outboxes the boxer. He outboxes the guy that finished Conor McGregor in under a minute. So for that reason, James Vick is my breakthrough fighter of 2017. So be on the lookout for him in 2018. Now, we got to talk about the underdog of the year. You know, we are betting, man. This is one of my favorite categories Who's your underdog of 2017? Uh, I'm going to go with Darren Elkins because he's the underdog in all of his fights since the Chad Skelly fight. I think he was the favorite against Pepe, but all the other fights besides that, he's been the underdog. Underdog, plus 190 against uh, Bermudez. The guy's consistently an underdog. He's actually an underdog this weekend, and he might win again, but the guy's always winning as an underdog. You can never count the guy out. He's as tough as they come, and he's always the underdog going into these fights, and he always... Weathers the storm and gets the job done. Look, I'm going to give a personal pick for this one. I'm going to go with Demir Hadzovic as a plus 275 dog against Marcin Hell, just because that's the biggest dog I cashed in 2017. So he's my underdog of the year. You know, it's allegedly 2 nothing held going into the third round. And uh, Marcin decides, you know what, I got this lead. I want to get this first UFC win. I'm going to try an Imanari roll in the middle of the UFC's octagon. And uh, as you know, the Bosnian bomber, Demir Hadzovic, was having none of it. Timed a beautiful knee, knocked Marcin held out cold, cashes the plus 275. For that reason, Shaq, he is my underdog of the year, and I'm very excited about his upcoming matchup with uh, Alain Patrick. It's going to be a good one. Okay, here, here come the fun categories. Best bet of 2017. What was your best bet, man? Man, I got a couple. You know, the Randy Brown one will always be 
a good one, you know. I thought the minus 170 on the opener was a disrespect to Randy Brown. And when the public was betting Mickey Gall, I mean, it even got more outrageous. And, you know, it was more than a 10-unit play for me. I mean, just the, the fight in itself, you know, to dominate the first round and to lose the second round, but then come back and dominate the third round. It was an emotional roller coaster for sure. Got the job done. Randy Brown dominated the fight as far as I'm concerned. And uh, my other one is Yan Zhao, man. I mean, because not too many people were looking in that spot. Everyone is always under the assumption that these habitual losers like I or Curran um, are going to come back and get these wins. And Smolka. And Smolka, they're going to come back and get these wins when, come on, it's over. And, you know, minus 135 against Kylan Curran to... So Colin Curran habitually loses fights. Yeah, she's tough. Yeah, she's Hawaiian. Yeah, she won't quit. But I felt like Yan Zanen, I did my extensive research in that bet, and I realized that Yan Zanen was probably the best fighter that Curran had faced besides Felice. And uh, she went out there and she executed the sidekick to the face. I mean, we dropped her early in the fight. It was a great performance in China. And uh, I'm interested to see where Yan Zanen goes from there uh, as well. So, But the Randy Brown, Yan Zanen plays were good. Um, the Marcelo Gome in his debut Alex. with Alex White when, you know, they said Marcelo Gome never fought anybody with a win and, you know, it didn't matter. But those those are my best bets. Yeah, you know, I got a couple as well. You know, obviously Robert Whitaker plus 205 against Jacare. Loaded up on that one. That was a good play. And the ones you mentioned, Randy Brown, Yan Zona, and even Mateus Nicolau last week, I really like those as well. So, you know, it's a hard pick to say my favorite because it just depends. You know, do you favor the odds of, you know, a Whitaker plus 205 over Jacare, is that the best bet? Or is it, you know, the situations where we really loaded up because we saw an opportunity for a mismatch, an Alex White versus Mitch Clark, a Yan Zonan versus Kalen Curran, a Mateus Nicolau versus Louis Smolka. So I would say those are a few. And obviously my boy Randy Brown, you know, he took care of biz. I don't give a fuck. You know, people are like, oh, but he lost the second round. Davi, yeah, well, guess what? We cashed the bet. Davi Ramos against Grossmacher, seven units. You know, people saying, oh, it was a little hairy in the second, so what? Did we I won, get paid or not? We won the first two Did rounds. Did I get paid was, or not? <laughs> and we finished them, so. That's all I got to know. Yeah, exactly. Did I get fucking paid or not? And, uh, but you know what, Shaq? This ain't just about bragging. We talked about our best bets. Now we got to talk about our worst bets. So uh, what was your worst bet of 2017? Worst bet of the year probably has to be my five-unit parlay of Luke Jumo and uh, Maestro Dung and Kim. Maestro was fighting Gomi. That was the easy money on the card. I should have loaded up, put everything on that. And uh, I decided to parlay Luke Jumo against Shinzo Anzai, and it didn't work out. You live and learn. I learned my lesson. Never do that again. Um, as you can see, the numbers have gone up drastically since then. And uh, you just don't parlay five units that spot. But that's my worst bet. There's some other ones. Uh, Devin Clark against Yan. That was kind of embarrassing. Devin got smoked standing or naked choked. Um, Hanato diving in that uh, that guillotine of Ortega's. Lost 3.85 units on that. Um, some other ones. Uh, Michelle Canonas. But that wasn't really a fight. When I get beaten, I get beaten. So, But, yeah, those are my worst ones. Yeah, and since you brought up Gomi, you know, back to the best, I got to give props to my boy John Tuck. Uh, you know, he was like minus 250, he handled Gomi exactly how you're supposed to, he loaded up on that. But back to the worst bets of 2017, I got a couple, man. <laughs> These are pretty embarrassing, but I got no problem admitting them. Taruto Ishihara against uh, Gray Maynard. <laughs> I mean, look, I thought Gray Maynard couldn't take a punch, and we didn't even land a punch. We got absolutely blown out the water. Um, Justine Keish against Felice Herrig, you know, <laughs> that was really bad. 
Eric Koch against Guida. That was awful. Yair against Frankie. Had to learn my lesson there. And then uh, two ones that I didn't go as big on but were still bad were uh, Pereira over Tatiana Suarez and uh, Quinones over Sage Norka. Awful bets. And those were my be- those were my worst bets of 2017. But I-, I learned my lesson. So hopefully I don't have as bad of bets in the future. Right, Shaq? Exactly. So now uh, this is a fun one. Who is the jobber of the year? Man, uh, jobber of the year, I'm going to have to go with Will Ill Will Brooks, man. You know, coming into the UFC, former Bellator champ, you know, people saying he's top 10 right now. People are saying he's going to fight McGregor one day. Exactly. Like, come on. And, you know, the guy comes into the UFC, barely beats Ross, and then breaks against Alex Cowboy, uh, gets choked out by Charles. Like, Charles is the guy that, you know, and then then the Nick Lentz fight, like... It's just disappointing. I'm surprised he still has a job. Um, if he wants to take another fight, by all means, go ahead, Will Brooks. Yeah, fight Tyson um, off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, of course, he's looking for the easy fight with Pettis. Pettis would um, whoop his ass, by the way. Um, but Will Brooks is a huge disappointment. Remember, at one point, the fight you know outside the UFC was supposed to be Will Brooks versus Justin Gaethje. <laughs> it's a good thing that fight never happened. Just put it that way. But Will Brooks, man, the guy's always been a mental case, but I didn't know the extent of his mental issues. But uh, he's my jobber of the year. Look, and that's a very good pick for jobber of the year. I can't disagree with that one bit, but my jobber of the year, and I feel really bad about the Shaq, but my jobber of the year is Bobby Nash. Look, this is a guy that made his UFC debut against Li Jingliang, had a fight of the night type performance. So we're thinking, look, he just got caught by a much better guy. He's going to come back better. And he did come back better for about a round <laughs> when he fought Danny Hot Chocolate. And we're like, all right, all right, we're seeing a little bit of the skills. Then boom, Danny Hot Chocolate knocks him out as well. So then we're thinking, all right, does the kid have a chin issue? Or was he just in there with Li Jingliang and Danny Hot Chocolate? So he goes in there against Ken and Song, who like was coming off two L's, and they signed him specifically so so uh, Bobby Nash could get on track. And <laughs> Ken and Song knocks him out in 15 seconds. So, Shaq, for that reason, Bobby Nash is the jobber of the year. Coach of the year. You know, my coach of the year, I'm going to go with Mike Brown from ATT. I mean, the guys, and you see him at every UFC event every weekend. He's got Poirier. He's got... Ponzinibbio, Masvidal, Kobe Covington, Nunes. <laughs> uh, he doesn't work with Will Brooks, oh, okay. but um, you know he's got so many guys. You see him every uh, event, and I mean, just from what I hear about the guy, they say the guy is just tremendous to have around you, positive energy, and uh, I mean, just in terms of the amount of fighters he has to work with. I mean, Barzola, uh, the Casey. I mean, ATT's got so many over guys. there too. Yeah, over there now. The guy's got a. A tremendous amount of people uh, that he has to work with. And uh, like I said, Poye, Nunes, Covington, Masvidal, Ponzinibbio, he's got a solid, solid group. He definitely does. And look, my coach of the year is someone that's flying extremely under the radar. I'm talking about Ivan Flores of Legacy Muay Thai. This is Max Holloway's head striking coach. This is the guy that led Max Holloway to a world championship. He beat Jose Aldo twice. Both times by third round finish, the first time in Brazil as a plus 115 underdog. I think the work that Ivan Flores has been doing with Max Holloway and Yancy Medeiros, I mean, you see the way that their uh, their performances have just been getting better and better. Their level their levels are going up. I mean, these kids are performing at the you know the highest frequency they ever have in their entire mixed martial arts careers. Uh, Max Holloway about to defend that belt against Frankie Edgar and and yes, he just got himself a main event in Texas over people from Texas. So, uh, yeah, Ivan Flores is my coach of the year for 2017, Shaq. 
Now I gotta ask you, what's the comeback of the year? Comeback of the year. That's a good question. Um I'll tell you mine first. Uh, My comeback of the year is obviously Darren Elkins versus Mirsad Bektik. I mean, when you get your ass whooped like that, you know, it's one thing, you know, you lose the first two rounds 10-8, and then you say, you know what, I just accept the fact that I lost this fight, and maybe I won't quit. Maybe I'll just take the ass whooping like a man. You know, I won't, you know, cover up and let the ref intervene. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll take the ass whooping and lose the decision. That's not what Darren Elkins does. When Darren Elkins lost the first two rounds, he didn't let it bother him at all. He comes back in the third. Not only does he win the third round, Shaq, he finishes Mirosad Bektik in the third round. That is my comeback of the year. My comeback of the year is another fun one. I'm going to go with Ryan James versus Andrew Sanchez. I mean, that was what we call a comeback. Because Ryan James was out, but his, his mind wouldn't let him go out. And, I mean, he just showed that he's as tough as they come mentally. I mean, you can hit the guy with a baseball bat and he's going to be smiling. But Sanchez dumped his load off in the first round. It was a 10-8 first round. And then we, Jan, uh, James does what he always does. He's a super awkward guy to fight. He's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I mean, the guys, when you fight that type of guy, that's not going to quit. It's super tough. And James absolutely gassed out. And uh, James put it on him in that third round, man. Talking about accumulation, uh, Sanchez absolutely did not want to be in there. So that's my comeback of the year, Ryan James. I'm actually a fan now. I like the guy's style. Eat a, eat a shot to give out five. So uh, Ryan James versus Andrew Sanchez. So, in your opinion, Shaq, who is the current pound-for-pound pound number one fighter on the UFC roster? Man. Well, I, I got to get mine first. Yeah, go ahead. So, my current number one pound-for-pound pound fighter on the roster is a no-brainer. So, people are going to be like, oh, so it's Demetrius Johnson? No, it's not Demetrius Johnson. It's Max Bless Holloway. I mean, the dude's on a 12-fight win streak. He uh, just beat the greatest featherweight of all time twice in a row, unless you consider Conor the greatest featherweight of all time. But Conor ain't fighting at 45 ever again. Who knows if Conor's even going to fight in the UFC again? He might not. We know, we don't know. So Max Holloway is uh, my current number one pound-for-pound pound fighter on the roster. I mean, look, I know Demetrius is amazing, but look at the guys Max Holloway's fighting, and look at the guys Demetrius is fighting. Look, no disrespect to Ray Borg, Chris Carriasso, Tim Elliott, but, I mean, come on, guys. Those, those dudes aren't, you know, come on. That's all I gotta say. But look at the guys Max Holloway's going in there and fucking up, man. Jose Aldo twice. He's about to fight Frankie Edgar. That's all I gotta say. And my other option would have been Robert Whitaker, but I just feel like Max Holloway's resume is, uh, as of right now, higher up and uh, on a different level. Max Holloway is the number one pound for pound fighter on the UFC's roster, Shaq. I'm gonna go with Robert Whitaker. You know, Robert Whitaker beat Jacare, beat Yoel Romero, beat Derek Brunson. Don't forget about that Brad Tavares win either. Brad Tavares is a tough guy, and he knocked him stiff. So Robert Whitaker's my uh, number one pound-for-pound pound fighter. If he can get that knockout over Luke Rockhold, then he even moves up higher on that ladder. But, you know, I will say this about DJ. I think he is the best fighter in terms of overall skills. But in terms of opponents, I agree 100%. Ray Borg, uh, Cariasso, Maraga, these guys Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott, these guys aren't. Yoel Romero's, Brunson's, Jacare's, Tavares's. So I'm going to go with uh, Robert Whitaker. Fight of the year. Fight of the year, man. It has, it's a no-brainer for me. It's Nancy Medeiros and Alex Cowboy. That was, that's what we call when a Brazilian and a Hawaiian get in there, man. It's always uh, magic because both guys won't quit. And even though one guy did eventually quit, just what Nancy had to go through to get to that point. I mean, he got dropped, wobbled several times. And we've seen that from him before, man. Even when he fought Dustin, he wouldn't go down. When he fought uh, Master Nduba, he wouldn't go down. And the guy 
show that Hawaiian spirit. That's my fight of the year. Alex Cowboy showed a lot of heart, but the, the body can only take so much. So. I'm going to actually have to agree with you on this one, Shaq. I do think Cowboy Oliveira versus Anthony Medeiros is the fight of the year because when you talk about a fight of the year, it needs to be constant drama. Both guys need to get dropped. Both guys need to get wobbled. You need to see some crazy shit you've never seen before. When you watch that fight, everybody's got to be on their feet not knowing what the fuck's about to happen. And that's exactly what the case was when Cowboy Oliveira and Yancey Madero stepped inside the UFC's octagon. That was 100% the fight of the year. I know some people are going to say Gaethje versus, versus uh, MJ. Look, MJ fucking quit after a round, bro. Like, how was that fight of the year? It was uh, drowning of the year, but I don't know about fucking fight of the year. Fight of the year was Cowboy versus Madero's. And, and I agree with you 100%, Shaq. So now we got our last award. The Best Fight Picks 2017. UFC Fighter of the Year. Who is it? Shit. Well, Shaq don't know. I'm going to tell you right now. The Fighter of the Year is a dude that I've already given like three awards to. Max Blessed Holloway. I mean, like I said already, when you take that belt from the number one featherweight of all time, and not only do you take it from him, and, you know, it wasn't some controversial decision. It wasn't a Vegas decision. You beat him in Brazil, in his home country. And you finished him in front of his people who are all screaming, Ooh, vamos, hey, you're going to die. And he did that. And not only did he do that, Shaq, he came back and he did it again. This time on neutral territory. Even though, you know, U.S., that's Max's uh, home country. But this wasn't Hawaii or nothing. This was Detroit. And he goes out there. He doesn't just finish him, Shaq. He finishes him in the third round by TKO. Again, cemented the fact. First first fight wasn't a fluke, even though you and I both knew it wasn't a fluke at all. We, <laughs> you know, I fucking bet five units on Max Holloway at plus 115 in Brazil in that spot. But, uh... Max Holloway is my fighter of the year, hands down. I'm going to go with one that, you know, might be surprising. But, I mean, what the guy did this year was uh, incredible. TJ Dillashaw, man. You know, to lose the belt to Cruz, he could have packed it in. He could have just been a, a, uh, a gatekeeper. But, you know, he goes in there, he beats a Sun beats Lineker, and then he gets his uh, fight with Garbrandt. Gets wobbled hard in that first round and then comes back to, Knocks Garbrandt out, gives Garbrandt his first loss. Now he's a two-time Bantamweight champion, which a lot of Bantamweights can't say. So I'm going to have to give it to TJ. He didn't quit. He stayed the course. And uh, now he's got another big fight on his hands. But the fact that he got his belt back really impressed me. Well, man, 2017 has been an incredible year. 2018 is going to be even better. And now uh, it's time for some interviews. So let's hit up last week's six-unit winner, Mateus Nicolau. Let's, let, let's call him up real quick. And joining us now is UFC 219's big winner, Mateus Nicolau. Mateus, welcome to Half the Battle. Hey, thank you, Daniel. It's an honor to be here and be able to talk a little bit about my career and everything that comes together. Man, it's great to have you on here. And first thing I got to ask you is, how did you get your boxing on the level of your jiu-jitsu? Because I know that you're... You go way back with your jiu-jitsu, man. A lot of people don't know. You're a world championship jiu-jitsu guy, but what they know you for in the UFC is your boxing. How did you get your boxing on the level of your jiu-jitsu? Uh, it first started when I first met a friend of mine in Nova Union, Roberto Cubo. He is an MMA professional fighter. He was with me in my last fight, and like since I met him, he's always with me. And that guy, he really, really loves boxing. He came from the Tino Gator before before I met him at Nova Union. 
And he's he really loves boxing. He started training box with Fabio Maldonado, the former UFC fighter. I don't know if you remember him. Of course. Fabio Maldonado. And then he starts showing me boxing and then I start to like studying a lot. I really dedicate myself for boxing, you know. And I even compete some amateur uh, boxing uh, competitions. And when I was without fighting MMA, I spent like a year without fighting MMA back on the back on the days was like difficult to find fight and stuff and then I dedicate myself so much to boxing and who makes me love boxing the way I love jiu-jitsu and the way I love MMA was Roberto Curvo we studied a lot together you know we used to watch fights fights together and everything and after that of course I always trying to improving and involved and then I went to Sao Paulo to train with my coach Alex Cardoso that's a very very talented guy a really really good coach he ended up his professional career with 21 fights and 21 victories you know and man I've been since I met Kovo and I started loving boxing I started improving and traveling for training and stuff and for that fight specifically I trained with Alex Cardoso that is one of my boxing coach and Ivan de Oliveira Pitu, that's a very, very good boxing coach too, especially for MMA. And that's why I was so sharp in my boxing that in that match. Now, Mateus, you know, you are one of the youngest guys in the flyweight division, ranked inside the top 15. You've already beaten two top 15 guys. And, you know, you did say that you were at Novo and Yao for five years, training with Aldo, Hannon, Dantes, Burrell. I mean... And you're only 24 years old. You know, training with those guys at such a young age, do you think that's uh, prepared you for what you're about to take on in the future? Uh, yeah, of course. That's what I'm looking for in my career. You know, like, I, I am from Belo Horizonte. It's, uh, it's from Minas Gerais State in Brazil. And when I was 17, I just moved on to Rio de Janeiro and I started living alone without my family and everybody. When I was 18, living in Rio de Janeiro, I went to a favela for the first time and it was for living and I lived over there for four years in a favela, you know. And then after that, I went to Jacksonville to keep like improving, keep looking after better trainings and everything. And right now, I make my training camp at Damien Myers in Sao Paulo, Villa da Luta, with a lot of great guys, you know. So I'm I'm living for that. I, I don't I don't say that I train only and I have a fight and stuff like that. I live for that 24/7, you know. And that's what I I've been building, you know. I've been building my legs little by little. And when the big challenge comes, I will be ready for taking it. Mateus, can you tell me about your approach, about how you choose specific places to train at? For example, with the Moraga fight, you knew that, hey, I need to be able to go three rounds hard. So you went to Greg Jackson's in the elevation, and obviously you got the win. Then for Smolka, you know he loves to scramble. So you went with uh, Damian Maya, the best jiu-jitsu guy in the UFC. So can you tell me how you do these uh, specific fight camps? Yeah, everything was kind of, sorry for the dog, oh, everything, <laughs> everything was kind of natural, you know, like I used to say that I can see how blessed I am by the people who I have uh, by my side and this happened so natural. So first talking about Nova Union, I was in Switzerland, I, I was making a fight over there and then my friend uh, Igor Araújo, a former UFC fighter too, he came to me and said, hey, you must go to Rio de Janeiro, it's near to your city, and for now it's the best place for lightweights, you know, like you have to go there. And then I went I went over there, I spent some time, and then 
I was traveling with Claudia Gadelha. She was doing some promotion for her fight against Joana for the second time. And we ended up fighting the same day. But until that time, I didn't know about that. And I was... Uh, John John was back uh, on fighting. He was supposed to fight against uh, Sam Cruz, I guess. And then one day before the waiting, he came at me. He didn't know me. He came at me and started talking with me, making questions and stuff. And I was kind of impressed with that him and... He's like getting back after a while without fighting. He's losing weight. He's one day before the waiting. And he came at me and started making questions and being such a nice guy. I really like that. I want to go to that gym. And then I talked with Igor, that same guy who sent me to Nova Union, because I knew that before he made some training camps at Jackson Wink. And then I don't know, was like uh, so natural. And he was a Jackson Wink exactly on that moment that I called him, but I didn't know about it. And he said, hey, come here, let's go training here, I can I can uh, make you, uh, know, like, coach week and stuff, and I can introduce you here, come here, and then I just fly fly back to Rio de Janeiro, put all my stuff back in my house in Belo Horizonte, and go there, but the first idea was there for only once for making a training camp, a little bit more for the one month, just for try to improve and new, new things and try to challenge myself. But then they closed my fight to Moraga, and I was there already. And I said, hey, man, I'm liking the training here. Everybody treats me so well. I was training with John George almost every day and fought Moraga twice. I know Coach Mick fought Moraga twice with uh, Don John Hudson. I said, hey, maybe it's a good opportunity to stay here on a, a high-level training camp, you know. And I just stayed over there and made my fight against Moraga. It was really good. And now, after everything happened in my career, the doping stuff, I go back to Belarusonte. I wish to spend some time with my family and stuff. And then I already met the Damian Myers guys on the Ultimate Fighter because they was the all the coaches was the same coach that was coaching the team Shogun, the team that I was in the Ultimate Fighter. And I say, man, maybe that's the place I want to go. And plus that, I have my doctor that I've been working with, Dr. Felipe Pereira. He's a uh, a sports specialist and he's living in Sao Paulo so was one more thing that I have that was making me make me make my decision for go to Sao Paulo and right now I think that I found my place you know right now I think that I found my place at least for the next fight I'll be making my training camp in Sao Paulo I like to travel I like to challenge myself I like to get out from the comfort zone but talking about training camps and make my my base will be Sao Paulo at Vila da Luta de Memaia for sure what was it like training with the greatest fighter of all time, Johnny Bones Jones? Man, it was like uh, so motivated, you know, and he was there in the gym every day. And he was not only that, I didn't train with him, of course, because he's a light heavyweight and he had all the training parts and I'm a flyweight. But just to having him on the train, his energy, he came, to, he came to me like every day he talked to me. He kind of likes to watch me train, and he always, after he's training, because the, the heavyweight is training before the lightweight is inspiring day. So after the, his training, he always stayed there and watched my training. It was something really, really that motivated me, you know. It was a huge honor, and I hope to see him again, you know, as soon as possible. I think I met him and have a good talk and wish him everything that I want to to him. And, you know, Mateus, going into the Lewis Smoker fight, you know, he had lost three in a row. But, I mean, his toughness was insane in that fight. Was that the toughest guy you fought in terms of toughness? Because, I mean, you dropped him three times in the first round. And, I mean, he just would not go away. And we know how anytime a Brazilian and a Hawaiian gets together in that cage, it makes for fireworks. 
Yes, man, I knew that he was really tough, but I was kind of surprised. Three knockdowns in the first round, and not only the three knockdowns, he got a lot of body shots, you know, all the fights. And he not just keeping trying to survive, but he was trying to submit me. When I put him on the ground after a knockdown, he was trying to submit me. Man, that guy has is really tough. He has a big heart. He really proved that he's a samurai. But the only thing is that he is not the last, you know. He's not the last samurai. We still have some over there. <laughs> so, man, I got to ask you, what was the motivation for leaving Nova Onyao? Because, obviously, you have the, the classic Nova Onyao style. Your takedown defense is amazing. The striking is on point. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But you kind of knew you had to, you know, expand your horizons. When was that moment that you knew, hey, maybe I should try some new things out? Uh, that was something that I have in my mind for a long time already. I always wanted to like travel and try new things. That's what I did in that year that I took was without uh, fighting MMA. I, I, I lost and keep involved, you know, that with me. I can be in that better that I was still trying to like uh, do different things, you know. I, I'm afraid of stop and not involve anymore, you know. I'm really, really connect to my evolution and that was what motivated me, you know, I want to try something new. But the idea, as I said, was not to, like, uh, leave Novo Neo. was, like, to spend only one month in, in Jackson Week gym. But then they closed my fight, and I was there already, and I thought in that moment that was the best decision was to stay there and make my training camp over there. As I said, my friend Roberto Covo, the guy who made me boxing, he was with me in Jackson Week, and he was one of my main trainers, you know, more than Andrea Pedernera, he was always with me, making these strategies with me, and fighting with me, so he was there, and I, I felt that time that it was the best decision to stay over there. And you know, before, while you were on your uh, hiatus, you know, you were uh, invited to go down to Frankie Edgar's gym at Ricardo Almeida's, how was training uh, down there like? Damn, it was like a, a, a huge experience for me, you know, not talking about martial arts, but talking as a human being. I could see how close they was with each other, how they treat everybody good. Frank Edgar is a very simple guy and very tough guy. It was an honor to be with him and be trained with him. And I went there, I was invited by Marlon Moraes, and the funny is how natural things happen in my life that I was talking to you like Marlon knew with me because I trained with Timur Valiev he's a Russian guy that I trained with him in Jackson Week and he told about me to Marlon and then when I met Marlon I was with Damien in Hoboken training at uh, Edge Wrestling with Koji Hamra and then Marlinho came to training for us and said hey I know you Timur talk about you and everything hey if I, I have a fight coming up do you want to come train with me and I was suspended by the doping, you know, and as I said, I always train, I, I live for that, and I not only train for a fight, so I keep all that we are keep training every day, doing everything that I could, and when Marlene first invited me, I said, yeah, of course, let's do it, right away, I went to Tom's River with him, and I make all the training camp with him, so it was a huge experience for me, I involve a lot, and I make a very, very good friends, you know, like Marlene is someone that will be Always in my mind, always in my heart, I'll be always cheering for him and sending him positive energy. Is that what kind of kept you motivated during your time off, man? Because when you have time off like that, and, you know, I know with a lot of fighters, the reason that you're in camp is because you have a fight coming up. You have something to be motivated for. So was going to Frankie Edgerson, was that, did that kind of keep you hungry during your time off? 
Of course, of course, was one of the things that uh, keep my keep me motivated. I tried to to motivate myself day by day, and I did some stuff to keep me motivated. One of those things that I did was get back on Jiu-Jitsu Championship, Jiu-Jitsu Tournament. I stopped to compete Jiu-Jitsu when I was a blue belt. When I have 17 years old, I make my MMA pro debut. Since then, I did not compete Jiu-Jitsu anymore. And then I was back like in a black belt to the high level of competition. And then I say, hey man, let's do it. You know, let's put my ego away and let's challenge myself. And that's what I did. And I did really good. I have really good... Uh, Results in jiu-jitsu that was one of the things that keep me alive you know and plus that have that training camp with Marlon have a training camp with my friend Saul Almeida who lives in Boston he fought for the CES belt and he invited me I was in Brazil he invited me hey man wanna come down here and help me train and say right away hey let's go not only for helping a friend a very close friend that is Saul but also for keep keep training, keep involving, meeting new people, you know. And that's what I do. I live for that. And every opportunity that show up that I see that is good for me, I catch right away. I don't think twice. It's funny that you mentioned that, Mateus, because as the fight was starting, uh, Joe Rogan mentioned that Mark Delagrade talked to him and said that uh, when you visited his gym that you were putting everyone down. So he was very high on you. And... Um, Another thing is, you know, you've, you're so young in the game. You've been around guys like Andre Pettineris. You've been, a, you had uh, Mike Winklejohn in your corner. How was it like having Eduardo Alonso in your corner now? Because we've seen what he's done with Damian Maya. We've seen what he's done with Shogun Hua. How has this guy influenced your career so far? Man, Eduardo Alonso, he's a very intelligent guy. He's like a scientist of the game. I used to say that. I never had a so specific training camp for a fight like that one, you know. Everything was so specific for me. Uh, all the team working on my fight, you know. I feeling great. I feel everybody fighting with me. And Eduardo, he's like I said, he's like a geek from MMA. MMA. He studies a lot the game. Uh, he and he could like uh, observe myself a lot. He could know me better. So I love to do that training camp under his command. He helps me a lot. He's very, very intelligent. And for the next one, I know that it will be way better because we are just starting to like to get really connected and stuff. So you can expect that we are going to be do great things together. So we talked a lot about your jiu-jitsu. And in that third round, man, you had a locked-in arm triangle on Lewis Smolka. I was blown away that he didn't tap out. Were you surprised, man? Yeah, he, like I said, he's really tough. You know, I got him, like in the second round, I got him in a really tough Kataga tummy, really tight. And I, I could feel in him, he was almost tapping, almost passing out. And he, he's just like a worm. He gives you way to go, go out. You know, it was like incredible. And then the third round again, I got him with, uh, we call it, uh, a rear naked choke, I guess, or something of it. Uh, he started from an uh, arm triangle and then he defends and go to his back and stuff. And man, he's the same, just like a worm. He just keep turning around, get his zip out and, and just get out, you know. So shout out to him. He's a really, really tough opponent. And as I said before, I knew that challenge will make me uh, grow up as a martial arts and I just have to thank uh, Smoker for the opportunity. really respect him. 
And, you know, like we said, you're only 24 years old and you already have two wins inside the top 15, which a lot of guys at flyweight can't say. I mean, how do you feel like you stack up with the Sergio Pettis' of the world, the Henry Cejudo's of the world, uh, the top guys uh, at flyweight? Uh, of course, it would be a, a huge challenge for me, and that's what I'm looking for in my career. You know, huge challenge. I like to test myself, and those two names, they are really, really tough. I trained with uh, Pat is at Jackson Inc. once, you know. He's a really, really tough guy, and it was funny the way he trained with me. We could say that he was like trading abilities. He didn't want to... I had a fight coming up. He didn't have a fight, so he really tries to help me to to make a good training, he was not trying to to kill me and, and stuff like that. And that's when I see that he's a really great martial arts, you know. So I know that a fight with him, you know, against a hood will be a big challenge in my career and it will be a fucking fun fight for the fans. I, I, I bet it will be, you know. Absolutely. So, I mean, look, now that you beat two top 15 guys in a row, what's next? Are you thinking Tim Elliott? Are you thinking the winner of Ray Borg versus Moreno? If it were up to you, Mateus, who do you think you'd fight next? Yeah, this is something that I, I have to sit and uh, talking with careful, you know. Uh, right now, I'm just enjoying my vacation. I'm, I'm just arriving in Dallas today. Tomorrow's my birthday, and I'm enjoying here my goddaughter that lives here. And I will come back to Brazil. I will sit with my team and with UFC and see what they have for me. But one thing that I have to say is that I'm looking forward. You know, I'm look high, and I want a record guy. I want a record guy for sure. I don't know. I don't have a specific name yet, but I want some someone that will test me. I like big challenges, and that's what I'm looking for. So only a few more questions before we let you go, Mateo. So first of all, happy birthday, my friend, and. Uh... <laughs> I, I got to ask you, what is it about the left hook that you love so much, man? Because I noticed it seems to be your favorite punch. Yeah, the left hook, I like it a lot. I like to mix it how I do it, you know, I do it in a different ways. And, but, of course, it's one of my main main, main uh, shots. And not just that, I have much more here, and I hope to have the opportunity to show you guys what I have in my arsenal. There's some good stuff here. You <laughs> can bet. 100%. And you know, Mateus, 18 months ago, when you fought John Moraga, going into that fight, no one knew who you were. Everyone was like, who is this kid fighting John Moraga, the number six flyweight in the world? What was your mindset going into that fight because it was such a huge opportunity at the time? Man, I love that. I love when people don't know who I am. I love when people doubt me, you know, since when I was a kid. Man, I was a soccer player. I am a, almost a midget, you know, a skinny boy. <laughs> and nobody believes when I say, hey, man, I want to try jiu-jitsu. I want to be an MMA fighter. My mom, damn, she, she just, hey, what are you doing in your life, boy? Come on, go back to soccer. You know, everybody was like, then I say, hey, man. I, this. I know that I can do it. And I love when people doubt me, when people don't know me, say, who the fuck is that guy? Who, who, who the fuck is Mateo is? And man, I, who I, love, I love what I do. Hey, so last thing I got to ask you before I let you go, man. Do you think you're the guy to dethrone the great Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson? Uh, I don't, I don't, I can't say if I am the guy because I still have to do, I can't say that if I, I will be the guy. If he's still there, he's still like with the phone and he's waiting for me, for sure. When the opportunity comes, I'll be ready to take. Well, Mateus, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. The fans can follow you at Nicolau Mateus. Mateus, any message for the fans before we go? 
Uh, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity. I, I I love to talk about my career myself, and they can know me a little bit better. And I want to say thank you for everybody who watched the fight, who who stopped to watch the fight, and keep uh, keep watching because I'm I'm pretty sure that. I have some good stuff for show you guys. You know, I as I said in all the interview, I live for that. And when I go to the cage, it's like I put everything on. You know, I put all my life on it, and I do with love. And I'm pretty sure that who loves MMA will love to watch me fight. Thank you, Daniel. Best of luck for you too, brother. And uh, there he is, the six-unit winner, Mateus Nicolau. And man, he speaks some pretty good English. Guy speaks good English. Best prospect in the flyweight division. Easy max bet winner, thirty twenty-six. Mateus Nicolau, keep an eye out for the guy, man. I think he can uh, fight with some of the top guys at 125 already. Man, the fact that he got his boxing on the level of his jiu-jitsu it just speaks volumes about what the future is for a kid like that. So can't wait to see who he fights next. Hopefully it's Tim Elliott <laughs> and we get a, a nice little price on Mateus there. But uh, let, let's hit up uh, Alex Asparin White, man. He's got a big fight this week. Alex White, you're on half the battle with Dan and Shaq. How's it going, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. That's good to hear. So, man, the fight got announced. You're taking on James Krause. Uh, I know there's going to be some hometown bragging rights in that one. You pretty excited about this? Yeah, I am. And so, so is uh, everybody in the hometown. Uh, I have a big group wanting to go and support me. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to uh, have some fireworks that night. Yeah, and Alex, you know, I'm a big fan of your fighting style. And, uh, you know, I was listening to some interviews of James Krause. He uh, mentioned that you guys have trained in the past. Um, uh, what was the extent of that training? I'd go down and cross-train. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a good jam. It's, it's uh, like a couple hours away. Uh, but I would uh, stay there for like a weekend and train and then uh, come back home. Uh, they, they, they have a good setup. Uh, training schedule going there, and you know, I before the fight was announced, uh, I was actually talking about uh, going there to the cross training with them, and then uh, for them to announce the fight and me to be fighting him, I was like, "Wow, that's crazy how that happened." So you guys are actually pretty friendly, then, huh? Uh, but man, whenever it comes to the to the fighting in the ring. Uh, I mean, both me and him agreed that it's business, you know? We're going to do what we do best. And, man, you know, it's interesting because you're one of the bigger featherweights on the roster, but now you're at lightweight. You're one of the bigger lightweights. So, I mean, did you basically have to kill yourself to make 145? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty awful. <laughs> like, uh, I think the heaviest I got was, like, to 88, 89, having to cut down to 45. Uh, but just, uh, cutting that, that much weight plus training, uh, I was, I was always getting injured, you know, uh, broken bones, pulled college, uh, always something. Like I had to back up three, like two to three fights just because I got injured. And since, uh, I went up a weight class, uh, no injuries, uh, and I actually have more energy, I felt stronger, so... Yeah, Alex, and it's pretty evident in your last fight against Mitch Clark, which in my opinion, you know, it could have got a, uh, a performance bonus with the uh, the way it turned out. I mean, going into that fight, were you feeling as if your job was on the line? And now that you got that win, I mean, I'm sure you're looking to just move on, move on up from here. Yeah, uh, I did. I felt like uh, it was either me and him, 
And then uh, I, I still kind of feel that way. And maybe maybe that's a good thing, you know, to to get that fire under your ass, you know, to, to keep it going. But uh, you know, if, if I want to climb the ladder, then I'm going to have to, uh, you know, start running every one. And yeah, um, another thing I saw you mentioned that uh, that you started training three times a day. So is that something that you just couldn't do when you were fighting at 145? I had a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I I have a job. My uh, my coach, my coach's wife, Erica, she uh, she's actually my boss at my work. So she she kind of. Let's me slide on a couple of things. So I get the morning training in, and then afterwards I get some uh, third conditioning in, and then my MMA class. So, man, I heard an interview and you said that, you know, you kind of rekindled that flame, that passion for fighting. And, I mean, it shows in your performances, man, especially your last three performances. You've been looking the best you've ever looked. Do you feel like you really have a lot of momentum going into this one? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I just, now you sit back and you watch those fighters do it, and then you always think to yourself, man, I can do it, you know? And, uh, I mean, I'm I'm right there, you know? Like, I'm already in the organization. I just have to get my butt into gear. So, uh, that, I mean, I, I can be those one of those guys that, that gets up the ladder, you know? And yeah, Alex, like we mentioned before, you and James Krause are both from Missouri and you guys are friendly, but we know this is business. Like we said, we feel like you're on the way up and, you know, he hasn't made 155 in about two years. Where do you see the state of his career and where do you see the advantages that you have in the fight? Yeah, I think uh, I might be a little hard on him to make 145. And I, I, I think... Career-wise, I think he'll be okay. Uh, we're gonna lose. Uh, you know, he's got a good name for himself out there. So it's uh, time for me to get my name out there. So, Alex, how'd you develop your fighting style, man? Because obviously you're a super exciting guy. I've never seen Alex White try to hump someone's leg. I always see you going for the knockout <laughs> every single fight. How'd you develop that fighting style, man? Uh. It, I don't know. I, I guess I had that mortality. Uh, like, uh, whenever I first started MMA, I didn't have no background. And uh, I know we uh, we started out in a little yoga room, really, back in uh, Pilot Knob, Missouri. And uh, there wasn't really much wrestling we could get done, so we worked on a lot of uh, stand-up stuff. And it kind of uh, comes natural to me, so I, I kind of just stick with it. You know, I've been listening to some interviews of Kraus, and he, you know, seems to think that he has a big advantage on the mat. Um, your fight with Tony Martin, you know, which was a respectable loss in my opinion, um, do you think uh, that experience is going to help you in this fight with Kraus, who's probably going to be looking to take you down? Yeah, uh, during that fight, you know, it kind of really opened up my eyes. Uh, uh, well, what he did, he just, you know, I had basic wrestling defense and all that, and he was just one step ahead of me, you know. He was re-shot, uh, re-shot, re-shot, try to grind me down to the ground. So uh, that's something I've worked on and I'm still working on. So, uh, you know, if James Crowder tried to do that, then, you know, I'm going to have a couple different moves to uh, 
So, Alex, I know we talked about this already, man, but how much better do you feel at 155 pounds, man? Because, I mean, in terms of, like, your frame, man, you just look so much physically better there. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, uh, I'm actually able to train. Because before, like, I had to cut weight and train. Like, now I'm able to train and then cut weight. Uh, that makes a big difference. Like I said, I got more energy. Uh I'm able to push myself farther and harder. Uh, just overall, I, I feel tons, tons better. I, I work better, you know? 100%, man. So your last fight with Mitch Clark, obviously that was the best performance of your UFC career. Was that the best you've ever felt inside the UFC's octagon, man? Because it looked like you were having fun out there. Yes, uh, I'd probably say between that one and then my first, first fight. Uh, you know, it took a little, like I said, uh, it took a little bit for me to get that fire under my butt, and, you know, I have it, and I'm not, I don't plan on letting go of it. And, you know, Alex, you have a reputation for being, you know, a soft-spoken, low-key guy. Granted, you go out here and get the win against James Krause and knockout. Are you going to, you know, like nowadays we see a lot of guys that are talking, talking a lot. They get the more notoriety. They get the more fame. Are you going to, you know, uh, speak a little, speak up a little bit more, or are you just going to be the same guy? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to try to be the same guy because I know that they they worked just, you know, just as hard as what I did, you know, to them. And so for me just to talk down on them, I think it's just disrespectful. So, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, if they put up a good fight, then uh, they, there shouldn't be any, you know, shit talking. You know, if they put up a good fight, they put the time in. So, Alex, when you fought Mitch Clark, man, there was this sequence in the fight where you landed about 15 to 30 elbows in a row. Were you surprised that the dude wouldn't go down? Yeah, uh, he, he has a hard head. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, that the part of the first five, uh, you know, I was thinking I just need to keep this up a little bit longer and then, you know, he'll be done. But uh, he, he took them all, and he still kept trying to go. You know, he's got a heart. And that's, that's, that's hard to uh, come by, you know. And, uh, Alex, I mean, even your run at featherweight, all your fights were exciting. But one fight in particular, the Artem Lobot fight, at the time, you know, he was coming off the Ultimate Fighter show where he was knocking everyone out. And, you know, his fight against Ryan Hall didn't go his way, but that's because, you know, Hall's the superior jiu-jitsu fighter. But you were the first one to beat him in every aspect in the UFC. I mean, in that third round, uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, but uh, he was just dropping his hands, swinging crazy at you. How fun was that? Uh it's almost like a, a pissing contest, <laughs> which uh, I, I had one of those pissing contests with uh, uh, Lucas Martins, and uh, it didn't go my way at the end. I got clipped. So I, I was trying to watch out for that without getting too confident, you know? So I, I back up, and I try to get one in. Which, uh, when someone's throwing bombs like that, they can that one punch, you know, could be the one. So... So I mean, uh, other than that, it, it was fun, absolutely. Where does that mentality come from, man? Because, for example, you know, you look at a guy like Tony Martin, and all respect to him, but he's not down to get into that kind of a fight. You're you get into those kind of fights all the time. Where does that kind of mentality come from? Uh, 
it's either yeah, I don't know. I, I've always been that uh, go go go. You know, like why let it stop you? Uh, uh, what? I don't know. I know the first time training, uh, you know, I was uh, doing boxing and uh, I wanted to get a feel of how it felt, you know. So I got hit a couple of times and it, it's more in your head than than it is physically uh, at first, you know. And since then, I've always been, well, you know, if I can take a punch and then uh, give him a punch, you know, I, I try to... Uh, do that and uh, try to work on my speed to get in a couple extra punches than we can get on me. So, Alex, in the past, a lot of people criticized you because they said that, you know, Alex stands, you know, straight up in the air. He's very upright and he doesn't move his head. But in your last three fights, man, I mean, you've been looking the best you've ever looked on the feet. Is this just a matter of the evolution of Alex White's game? Yeah. Uh, like I said, you know, we've, we've been working. I've been you know, training two to three times a day. Uh, it's just, uh, mu- it turns into muscle memory. You know, like like before, uh, I didn't really have that loss, you know. And then you, know, you just learn from your losses. And, uh, you know, uh, during that Lucas Martins fight on the broadcast, it was mentioned that you have a brother in, Af- in Afghanistan. Is your brother still in the uh, Army by any chance? Uh, he, he's in the resolve right now. He did, uh, he did two or three tours and he's back now and he's in the resolve. So Alex, man, uh, I heard an interview with Krause. He said that he's looking to finish you in the first round via TKO or rear naked choke. He was very specific. Uh, what do you think about that? I think, uh, it's all talk until it happens. And, uh, how do you, how do you see, uh, how do you see the fight going down? I think it's going to be a uh, dog fight. Uh, I'm just going to keep uh, the pressure on him. You know, it's, it's going to, like he said, uh, probably stand up at first, and then he's probably going to look to take me down, and I'm just going to have to defend it. Well, it sounds like you're ready to go, man. Yeah, man, it's, it's uh, mentally and physically, you know. It's, uh, so I'm just trying to get done so i mean honestly this is your first fight in missouri since 2014 uh is it uh is it exciting or a bunch of people hitting you up for tickets uh it's exciting and i also have people trying to hit me up for tickets and like i tell them uh i'm i don't get tickets for free you know not not for everybody so Uh, it costs money (laughs) (laughs) yes sir Uh, family comes first Absolutely. So, Alex, what kind of things do you do, you know, when you're not in training camp, you know, hobbies, things that you enjoy doing besides fighting? Uh, I mean, like, during the summer, uh, river, uh, uh, camping, uh, you know, I like to play a uh, couple video games. And then uh, during rental, you know, just video, uh, video games and uh, bonfires. Oh, yeah. What games are you playing these days? Uh, I like to play Destiny. Uh, uh, kind of got me going right now. That's uh, that's what the main game I play. 
Now, going into this fight, I mean, you've got big wins over Estevan Payan, Artem Lobov, Mitch Clark. Is James Krause the biggest name you fought? And if you did get the win, would this be the biggest win of your career? Uh, I think I think it would be. Like I said, you know, he's, he's pretty established in the uh, UFC career. And, uh, you know, like when I get this win, I think, uh, you know, he, he's up there in the rankings, I believe. And, I mean, it, it'll be a big win for me. Well, Alex, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Let the fans know where they can follow you on social media. I know you ain't been tweeting that much lately, but if they can reach you somewhere, let them know. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, they can always hit me up on uh, my uh, Facebook fan page. I'm starting to pay more attention to it now. It's uh, Alex of Spartan Wright. Uh, and then uh, whenever I get on trail, you can get me a at uh, Alex underscore white underscore 145. Awesome. Well, Alex, thanks again for the time, man, and best of luck in the fight. And I appreciate it. And that's uh, Alex Esparn White. He's taking on James Krause this Saturday. And, man, uh, it's going to be a good fight. You know, he's coming off that dominant destruction of Mitch Clark, and now he's got a bit of a step up here with James Krause. Yeah, man. I mean, if Alex White could pull off this one, this will be definitely the, the biggest one of his career. No one knows who this guy is. This is his opportunity to seize the moment, take out a big name, and let's see if he does it. Yes, so, you know, thank you everybody for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. If you want our plays, you know what you got to do. Go to bestfightpicks.com. Go to maxbetseason.com. And uh, tune in to the podcast later on this week because on Wednesday or Thursday, just stay tuned. We'll be dropping the full podcast, break down the entire card, give you our picks for the entire card, the whole ordeal like we always do. We ain't toning nothing now. People are worried that we're going to beat around the bush. Don't worry. Jessica I is still going to get shot on. You got nothing to worry about, guys. So uh, make sure you tune in. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.